0: Welcome to episode 12 of the Upsangani Cricket Care Podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Roger Browning. I'm an anaesthetist working in a tertiary women's hospital in Western Australia. This podcast is devoted to the discussion of anesthesia, pain, critical care, and related topics involved in the care of sick, obstetric, and gynecological patients. I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as much as I've enjoyed putting them together. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm joined by a cl- colleague and close friend of mine, um, Dr Hamish Mace, who's also an anesthetist working here in Western Australia. Um, and today's topic is going to be uh, a discussion about fibrinogen concentrate, uh, which is a topic near near and dear to my heart. Um, but I'm really keen to get um, a different perspective from Hamish. Um, so he's just just recently been uh, co-author of an article published by the um, ANSCO. Um, college publication um, Australasian Anesthesia or more colloquially known as the Blue Book um, talking all about fibrinogen concentrate. Uh, he works in a tertiary hospital at the moment but actually has had um, quite a bit of experience in uh, rural practice working in uh, uh, rural hospitals for the um, Royal Flying Doctor Service in the past and uh, I believe he did a fellowship in Canada as well so a bit of a broad experience uh, background. Um, so welcome to the show Hamish. Um, do you want to uh, uh, and some, introduce yourself and uh, maybe uh, give us your own two-sentence two summary of your background.
1: Thanks, Roger, and hello, everyone. Uh, so my name's Hamish Mace. I'm a tertiary practicing anaesthetist working at Fiona Stanley Hospital in Perth, predominantly. Uh, my clinical interests, I guess, are in obstetric anaesthesia and also upper GI anaesthesia, uh, and sort of my non-clinical uh, stuff includes work with the transfusion uh, medicine department and in the perioperative anaemia screening clinic.
0: Um, so, so I think we'll get into the, um, the topic, uh, which is fibrinogen concentrate. But before we do that, um, Hamish, can I ask you this sort of, some basic um, uh, questions just to orientate the audience to this topic? Um, so so what is fibro- why is fibrinogen important in, in uh, coagulop- the coagulopathy of major hemorrhage?
1: Well, fibrinogen's a, a key clotting p- protein produced by the liver. Uh, it's one of the first proteins to fall in critical hemorrhage. And one of the most crucial for maintaining stability of the clot, uh, it binds with platelets and forms the physical substance of the clot after being activated by thrombin.
0: Okay, and so uh, and like you said, um, it's often the first uh, clotting factor to fall, and it needs replacement. So, I guess the follow-on question now is: uh, in patients who have been who have become um, fibrinogen deficient, what are the sort of traditional um, products that we've used in the past? And do you want to maybe give me? Uh, we will give, give the listeners your um, views on um, how good they are and what, what their pros and cons are. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, sure. So look, there's um, three ways we can replace fibrinogen in a bleeding patient, or, or even a non-bleeding patient for that matter. Um, traditionally we've used things like fresh frozen plasma, which is a, um, a compound which contains most of the clotting factors and, and other things, um, and comes in relatively large volumes. Um, we also use a, uh, a product called cryoprecipitate which can- contains much more concentrated source of fibrinogen and comes with much smaller volumes. More recently we've moved to using a product called fibrinogen concentrate which is a, uh, a pure concentrated fibrinogen produced from uh, lots of human donors uh, without all the other stuff that comes with cryoprecipitate and, and FFP. Uh, there's various pros and cons for each. but. Particularly for fibrinogen replacement, I guess it makes sense to give a pure concentrated fibrinogen. That's the compound that we want to target, that's what we want to replace. And we want to avoid some of the other stuff that comes along with giving large volume products like FFP. Um, these are things like um, transfusion-related acute lung injury, which is more common, and transfusion-associated circulatory overload. Um, cryoprecipitate in Australia is probably the predominant way that we replace fibrinogen. Uh, this is a great compound, it's got factor 13, it's got von Willebrand factor as well, so it does add a little bit to the, um, the clotting components of, um, of the blood. Um, however, fibrinogen concentrate um, is probably the way uh, we're going, I think. Um, it's a, a freeze-dried product, it has a long shelf life, um, and it doesn't require cross-matching
0: or anything like that to be used. Okay, that's good. And I just uh, we'll take a little quick step backwards. I just want to quiz you a bit more on FFP, if that's okay. Because I know um, traditionally uh, a lot of places have used um, uh, transfusion protocols, which rely a lot on sort of fixed ratio um, approaches to uh, the management of major hemorrhage, with um, heavily based on the use of FFP. So um, when when you, someone becomes fibrinogen deficient, the sort of concentration that we're aiming for is uh, what around t- sort of two grams per liter, isn't it? Uh, Yes, it is. So um, really, uh,
1: bleeding complications tend to occur as the fibrinogen concentration uh, drops below two. And certainly, um, most of our algorithms now target a level above two uh, grams per litre on the Klaus fibrinogen. Fresh-frozen plasma comes from um, a single donor, uh, and it usually has fibrinogen in the realm of about sort of anywhere from 1.5 to 3 grams per litre. Now, in someone who's already fibrinogen deficient, giving a large volume of of plasma um, with a very, very low uh, fibrinogen concentration will tend to, if anything, dilute the uh, eventual fibrinogen concentration of the recipient. So probably
0: not a good way if you want to replace the fibrinogen by itself. Yeah, so um, so just to clarify that, I remember uh, listening to a German speaker um, a few years ago explaining that if you had a fibrinogen concentration of one or less and you wanted to get it back up above two, you'd have to give... um, uh, liters and liters of um ffp to to achieve that and um, almost undoubtedly the patient would um uh become um volume overloaded and suffer uh, lung injury so um so I guess that's uh, an, intre- uh, an important sort of physiological point to make um so the next question that I had um, prepared for you Hamish, is already being partially answered by you which is um, um but perhaps um uh, I'll just state it again so what is fibrinogen concentrate uh, maybe just really briefly explain how it's manufactured and um, also a little bit about its history, because I guess people are thinking, oh, well, this is a brand new thing. Do we really know how good it is? Um, but it's actually been around a long time, isn't it? So do you want to go over those sorts of things?
1: It has. So um, fibrinogen concentrate is a, a source of, a purified source of fibrinogen from multiple donors. It undergoes a lyophilization process, which basically um, takes away all the fluid and concentrates down the proteins, and is able to be stored uh, in a glass ampule, essentially. Um, the shelf life of fibrinogen concentrates about five years, so it's a really useful product to have floating around your department. Um, it doesn't require cross matching or anything like that, so it can be used in any, uh, any recipient really. Um, it's been around for yonks, as you mentioned. Um, it's been used exclusively in Europe and some countries uh, as cryoprecipitate was phased out in the 90s. So um, there's lots and lots of literature supporting its use, um, particularly from Europe.
0: Okay, and uh, so my understanding too is that in the manufacturing process, it actually gets, um, goes through a uh, filtering or filtration process and it's pasteurised. So uh, the manufacturers claim that at the, the risk of um, infection like a virus or something like that being transmitted is extremely low, is that that's correct, isn't it?
1: That's right. So there's uh, one really good paper written by Solomon who looks at 27 years of data regarding fibrinogen concentrate. Um, The risks of fibrinogen concentrate in that paper were incredibly low and really, really much better than cryoprecipitate. Um, The chance of passing on any uh, viral pathogens is almost negligible and the chance of things like thrombosis or um, any sort of circulatory overload or uh, immunological uh, complications are are next to nil.
0: Yep, and my understanding there's been millions of doses administered in in Europe um, since it was first um, used over there for replacement of fibrinogen. Uh, and the, their experience is that it's, um, by and large, very um, safe and easy um, to administer product with very few adverse reactions. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: that's my understanding as well.
0: Um, so I guess it is pretty new here in Australia, although it has been, u- it has been um, just to make my own comment, has been um, available in Australia since 2011. Um, currently, the licence indication is for congenital fibre engine deficiency, but it has been used a lot in acquired fibre engine deficiency as well, uh, um, especially in uh, some centres. Uh, around the country, so the next question I had was what are its advantages? Um, I think we've already covered that, haven't we, Hamish? Yep. Yeah. Is look, there anything I, you else you want to add on I, there?
1: I guess safety is a big thing, um, and uh, I think uh, it's got really unrivaled safety in the use um, in uh, in certainly congenital hypothyroidismia, but also I think acquired hypothyroidismia as well. Um, for me, the real advantage of fibrinogen concentrates is ease of access. Uh, you can have it there yeah. in your anesthetic trolley, you can draw it up and you get, can give it within a couple of minutes. Whereas we all know that cryoprecipitate does take time to thaw, it takes time for uh, sort of logistic processing within the lab and f- also portering, etc. So between you making a decision that the patient needs fibrinogen and you administering the fibrinogen, uh, fibrinogen concentrate hands down is better. It's minutes compared to sort of 20 yep. to 30 minutes.
0: And certainly in the tertiary um, centres, we think it's um, that that amount of time is uh, quite important. Um, you know, I think you know maybe it gives you a thirty to sixty minute um, head start on cryo. Um, but what about you know this is another um, important thing? What about places where they don't have on-site lab staff, uh, have to call people in, or in fact um, don't have a lab at all, um, remote locations, retrieval services and things like that, surely that's a real winner there isn't it?
1: Yeah, look I I think that's probably um, the area in which it's going to have the biggest benefit. Um, I've worked in several smaller centres and I've also worked for the Flying Doctor Service. Having a product that you can take with you on an aircraft or have in your uh, department not not rely on laboratory staff to cross match and and thaw and send you is just so advantageous. You can make decisions and you can make therapeutic decisions uh, and intervene really, really quickly. It's very portable. It's got a long shelf life. I think that's probably the area in which it's going to have the greatest benefit.
0: All right. Um, so, personally, I've been um, uh, quizzed a few times by some people who do um, work in centres that don't have uh, point of care sort of testing for fibrinogen, which are, we're talking about sort of viscoelastic devices. Uh, that's another topic which we won't talk about. But um, so some of them have asked me, you know. What about just giving it empirically? Um, similar, I guess, in the, to what we used to do in the past with the fixed um, FFP ratio transfusion. So um, um, sort of sort of blindsided you a little bit with this question, but what are your personal... I don't know, I've got my own sort of personal answer to that question. Um, what, How would you answer that, Amos? You're approached by, say, a GP who works in a remote location in Western Australia and says, you know, we don't have all those fancy machines that you have. Um, but every now and then we get someone who has a big obstetric hemorrhage or a trauma patient or a big GI bleed. Um how would you use fibrinogen concentrate and decide to use it and uh, what sort of um, approach would you take yeah look that's a great question i think there have been
1: a couple of papers that will look particularly at preemptive use of fibrinogen concentrate and things like trauma um, they have shown some benefit they have shown some safety and survival improvement in those patients um, but those are obviously under the guises of a clinical trial as well so to extrapolate that information to a smaller center such as you're describing is difficult However, um, some patients in particular are really reliant on fibrinogen. Uh, I'm thinking obstetric hemorrhage, I'm thinking trauma. Um, those patients drop their fibrinogen quickly, they often undergo fibrinolysis, uh, and they're really, really dependent on uh, rapid uh, replacement of their fibrinogen. If I was in a place without uh, the uh, easy ability to measure fibrinogen, I think having a product like fibrinogen concentrate that you could administer on spec, and someone who sort of um, you know, uh, gets over the threshold for a severe hemorrhage um, was really advantageous. And I think probably if you studied in those patients, you'd show a survival benefit as well.
0: Yep. So I think, um, and, and the thing uh, that I say as well is that, um, you know, you've got to look at the downside. So, yeah, the the likelihood is that giving um, a one dose of fibrinogen concentrate to someone who's having a major hemorrhage, um, even if their fibrinogen concentration levels are actually probably above the, the, the two to two and a half gram litre threshold, the likelihood of causing harm is, is relatively low, and so the likelihood of benefit is relatively high. Do you, would you agree?
1: I, I do agree. Look, there's been a couple of papers that have looked at um, patients who have had fibrinogen concentration, uh, sorry, fibrinogen concentrate versus pa- uh, patients that haven't. They've examined things like thrombosis. They've examined fibrinogen concentration over the ensuing weeks after a big trauma. There's really been no difference compared to the patients that have received it and those that haven't. So I think giving it probably has no downside whatsoever. And the fact that you potentially can be saving the patient's life by administering it, you know, on the balance of things, I certainly would administer it in that situation.
0: Okay, Hamish, so we've sort of talked about the role of fibrinogen concentrate in uh, remote or uh, rural locations. Uh, do you want to give us your um, take on how you see the role of fibrinogen concentrate, say, for example, in a tertiary hospital setting?
1: Yeah, look, so one of the issues with uh, the uptake of fibrinogen concentrate in Australasia has been uh, firstly its licensing uh, and secondly the cost. So you know, blood products at the moment in WA are funded completely by the National Blood Authority meaning the hospital doesn't have to pay for them. However, fibrinogen concentrate is funded straight out of the hospital coffers. So we really have to justify its use. Uh, there have uh, been a number of trials comparing fibrinogen concentrate and cryoprecipitate head to head and they've shown that FIBCONC to be at least uh, non-inferior to cryo. So how do I see its use? Well, I think um, given all those things, it's it's really good as a first up product in a, a time critical situation as we've mentioned. Something you wanna be able to draw up and give rapidly when you've got an indication that the patient's hypofibrinogenemic. After which time I guess you've had time to ring the lab, organize a cross match, get some um, precipitate thawing and then I really think that probably at this stage we should move to cryoprecipitate as our second line form of um, of f- fibrinogen uh, replacement and probably manage it from there.
0: Yep, that sounds pretty reasonable. All right, no, I said I wasn't gonna ask you about this, but I think we will because um, there are some people who work in the big fancy tertiary hospitals. So um, the truth is that if you do have a point of care test like a Rotem or a TEG or something like that, um, my, my personal opinion is you should actually measure um, the fibrinogen level, or the FIB TIM, which is what we use for the rotum, Um because a lot of the time, it's really surprising, uh, we have patients who lose two, three litres of blood at least, and they're, they're, their their fibrinogen levels are actually high still. Um, so you know, the, the ability to realize that you don't need to give it and uh, not, not administering a product to someone who doesn't need it is advantageous. Would you agree in um, that situation? Yeah,
1: look, I completely agree. Most of the literature suggests that if you give fibrinogen um, over a fibrinogen concentration of 2 grams per liter, you're probably not going to do a great deal of, of, of benefit, really, for that patient. Certainly the um, uh, mean blood loss and mean transfusion is not greatly different. We have mentioned that it's probably no harm in doing so, and I still stand by that. So the ability to actually test the fibrinogen concentration beforehand uh, uh, with the FibTem, for example, because it's a rapid test, is very advantageous. You can target your uh, therapeutic interventions based on that. And really, probably the best thing is doing nothing in the vast majority of cases. Um, If you have specific patients that you're particularly worried about, I'm thinking patients with, uh, you know, abruption or uh, with trauma and stuff, you've got a high suspicion uh, for uh, hypofibrinogenemia, the fact that you can do a test and get the answer back in five minutes and then make uh, make an intervention in a couple of minutes after
0: that is fantastic. Yep. All right. I think we'll leave it there. But thanks again, Hamish. That has been a very useful discussion. Thanks for listening, everyone. Before we go, I'd just like to make another quick plug for the blue book. Uh, which is also more formally known as Australasian Anaesthesia 2017. If you want to Google it on uh, on the internet, this is the publication in which Hamish's article has uh, come out. It's a free publication. Um, it comes out every two years. Um, the chief editor is Richard Riley, one of our colleagues who lives here also in uh, Western Australia. He does a great job, and I know that everyone in the uh, Australasian sort of anaesthesia and critical care community look forward to these publications because they've Articles article always full of uh, lots of practical tips and uh, useful knowledge. Um, so basically it has uh, a number of sort of two to four page summaries um, of really interesting uh, topics. Um, go and have a look at this year's one. There's five articles of interest uh, in this uh, area of coagulation and major hemorrhage. Um, obviously there's Hamish's article. Uh, there's also a really uh, useful article by the group in New South Wales who... Um, Describe some practical tips and um, and their experience of introducing Rotem uh, into their hospital in the last few years. There's an article by the, um, a group in Queensland talking about how they use Rotem for obstetric hemorrhage. Um, there's an overview of viscoelastic testing in general and major hemorrhage by James Wyniels, um who's uh, based in Gold Coast University Hospital in Queensland and doing some really great work um, with the Feisty trial at the moment, comparing cryo and Fibre concentrate in trauma. And then finally, um there's also a really good article on interoperative cell salvage um, by a couple of people from Queensland and South Australia. and um, please uh give the give us um some feedback, send us your comments. Um if you're listening to the show on iTunes, it's uh, really worthwhile to um spend a few seconds to rate us or um even better give us a review. That's the way iTunes um ranks shows and that makes it easier for other people to find our show so if you've even if it's only had a few um listeners out there uh, who are listening to me now even if only a few of you go and rank us uh, or sorry rate us and review us that'll um, make it much easier for us to get seen okay thanks again everyone and we'll see you again next time